Today on the Nerd Outcast podcast, we talk about good omens. Welcome back. I'm your host, Chris Bashan. Like I mentioned just a moment ago, we're going to talk about the hit novel sensation slash television show, Good Omens, uh, a book that has been out for quite a long time that I have never read and is uh, missing from my nerd vocabulary. But conveniently, I have many experts on who feel they can speak with some authority on this topic. My first guest is over in Atlanta. And what is your name, sir? Byron Hadfield. Hello, Byron. How are you doing? I'm great, man. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. So, like, I didn't even know that this was a collaborative work. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've not read Terry Pratchett. I've not read uh, Neil Gaiman. Uh, We had a podcast on Neil Gaiman, but I, but, but uh, I don't think we've done a Pratchett podcast. We probably should do that sometime. Um, But yeah, I did not realize this was a collaborative work. So, I'm just kind of curious. Like, what you know? Like, is this one of your favorite books? Is like, what where does this book sit for you? (laughs) <laughs> so uh, probably a solid start uh start with me i uh i guess the easiest way to put it was i have um an original unproofed copy of this book uh what? signed by pratchett and Gaiman both uh and also have a first edition signed by both of them as well uh and yeah i i love this book i always oh. keep about two copies of it and give it away like this is one of my favorite books of all time just because i think it's a good intro into specifically pratchett uh, okay. I feel like it's more his voice and his writing style, uh, and it's a nice entry point for uh, anybody looking for something interesting to get into that's not quite in the fantasy realm enough for Discworld. Okay, um, all right. And so his other stuff, but yeah, I love this book. It's it's one of those that I read it at a very a very interesting. I'll get this story out of the way now. Uh, the way I came into Good Omens was my sister. I was staying with them because I was like in a crappy place. And uh, I was into staying with him for like a semester in college, and she had this random book, Good Omens, on her shelf. They didn't know where it came from. Neither of them read it, she or her husband. And it just sort of was there. And I was like, "Oh, what's, what's this?" And they're like, "Oh, we don't know." And when I picked it up, it's like the you know act nice and accurate uh, prophecies of Agnes Nutter Witch. And I was like, "Well, this is kind of funny." I started opening it, started reading it. It reminded me of um, Douglas Adams with the footnotes, and I immediately fell in love with it. And so it just hmm. became this weird, and they just randomly had a first edition U.S. copy of Good Omens. Uh, yeah, wow. and I never know, I never knew where it came from, and I ended up lending it out at some point and went away. But yeah, it's um, it's, it's a good book, and it's collaborative. Okay, I I guess we don't need any other guests. So um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, hold on. Um, Having said that, I have uh, <laughs> yeah. I only watched the first episode of the show and uh, am not a fan. So uh, oh there, no, get into it. Oh, okay, nice okay. Hold, point for us. hold, hold your thoughts. Uh, great, Byron. That's all good to know. Hold your thoughts on that. We'll we'll jump into all this discussion very soon. Uh, my next uh, expert is uh, over in Virginia. And what is your name, my friend? Hi, this is Pete Foos. Hello, Hi, everyone. Pete. Welcome back. It's nice to be back. I'm waving Pete, you... for the people at home. Yeah, uh, for the video version of this podcast, you just waved at everybody. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, Pete, you've hit. You've done. You've done like all our big nerd books, like. Weren't you on Orson Scott Card and and Neil Gaiman? And I was. I was on Ender's Game. Bradbury. And yeah. I did. I do Bradbury. I don't I think I. You did Bradbury. 
No, because I I don't know. Maybe I only read Stranger in a Strange Land. I don't recall that. But yeah, I've done a few few big nerd ones. I'm happy. I was there for uh, um, Game of Thrones uh, when we did the mm. book back when season one was going on. We haven't done the full series. I'd like to be back if you do that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Neil Gaiman, uh, Terry Pratchett has always been one of my favorite authors. Neil Gaiman is another one of my favorite authors. So when I discovered a book had been written by both of them, I, I squeed a little and <laughs> yeah, and it and, did not disappoint. And similar question to you, like where does this book sit for you? Uh, this you is know? pretty high up on my list. It's a good read. Uh, it's a quick read. It's hilarious. Um, Lots of good characterization, and we'll get into all the details later, I suppose. But yeah, Perfect. I would absolutely recommend this book for anybody who just wants a fun read. All right. Great. Hold on to those thoughts. We're going to jump right in it soon. Uh, my next expert is over in Austin. What is your name, my friend? Hello, it's Zach Munn, Chris. Hey, Zach Munn. How you doing? How you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm so good. <laughs> I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this particular this is a big good one for me yeah i think we've only been doing gaming discussions so i think this is the first time we've we've jumped into oh chris i'm a book guy through and You're through a book guy so where's this book sit, you, where's this book sit for you on my table as it turns out <laughs> right in front of me uh, well played well played yeah yeah it's uh i i really love uh good omens from way back it was my first exposure to both uh neil gaiman and terry pratchett I came uh, to it by way of Douglas Adams. I had read uh, Hitchhikers, hmm. and then I went. I, you know, I went to a bookstore, and someone recommended this one just as like, oh yeah, if you like, you know, Hitchhikers, you're just gonna love. This is a real fun, goofy, whatever. And I was like, sure, I'll read your dumb book, you <laughs> idiot. And then uh, loved it so much that I got into all the Neil Gaiman stuff, a little bit of Terry Pratchett stuff. Uh, and have been uh, huge on them uh, ever since. All right, great. No, yeah. cool. Uh, I cannot wait to hear your thoughts and feelings. So hold on to them. Oh, what? So many of both. So many of both. Uh, my last expert is over in Chicago. What's your name, friend? Rob Shoemate, friend. I know. I it's my default intro, uh, but you're my brother. But you know what? Today, and I you're think my nerd. that in and of itself is is shame for me that you've never read Good Omens. Well, you haven't watched all of Dragon Ball Z, so uh, I, I have uh, all of it. Not all of it, but I've, okay, I've at great, least watched great. the first series. You know what? You have turned. You got me into Buffy. You mm -hmm, know, so mm -hmm. there's a good salvation. You got me into Smallville. Yeah. So you know, there's there's some salvations. But you are right. I have not read this book. Where does this book sit for you, Rob? It's definitely in my top five. Um, Whoa. It's. It's my go-to feel-good book. Like, if I'm in a bad mood and I've got nothing else on my plate right now that I'm reading, it, I'll start it up again. Hmm. I've, okay. I've read it eight or nine times now. I've owned eight copies and lent all eight, nine copies now, and lent all nine out and never got them back. <laughs> I, I hear that is what you should do with books. You should, you should lend to never get them back. Hmm. Um, awesome. Uh, great. Well, hold on to your thoughts. Uh, I need to introduce our final guest, who is sitting here in Los Angeles with me. Uh, what is your name, friend? Pete Navis. Pete Navis. Uh, Pete, you've been on the show before. I have. Um, and this is a little awkward today uh, that you're on the show, because you are not a fan of Good Omens. Is that correct? Yeah. Now... And I feel bad. Everyone else seems so happy right now. Like, you should I feel really bad. I feel bad having to be like, eh, it's all right. So, 
I think we have a couple of interesting points of view here. Um, uh, first off, everybody's br brought up Douglas Adams multiple times. You are you are a fan of Douglas Adams, is that right, Pete? Well, it's so so. Here's kind of my perspective on both of them. I read like the Douglas Adams Hitchhiker's books when I was in like sixth and seventh grade, and they were hilarious and amazing. And I'd never read anything like that before. I read Good Omens when I was like thirty-seven, and I was like. Eh, hmm. if I had read this in seventh grade, I probably would have thought it was amazing. Hmm. So that's kind of where I land on the thing. Have you read um, uh, uh, other works by Neil Gaiman or Terry Pratchett? Uh, yes. I love essentially everything else that Neil Gaiman has done. I huh. attempted to get through one of Terry Pratchett's books once and got like two-thirds of the way through and was just bored. Interesting. So I, like, I feel like that's why... I'm not into this. Okay. It's just a little cutesy poo for me. Hmm. All right. What yeah. is, What is one of your like favorite nerd books? Uh, I mean, like the all the like Tolkien, like Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm the guy who in like ninth grade went out and read The Silmarillion. So like definitely not a cheeky book. No. Um, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> nerd. Um, I mean, I think I think I was also on here for Ender's Game. Yeah, we and for you, the Ender's Ray Game. Bradbury. Yeah. So like that's kind of my category. Is like I want a, a little bit more literary. Like, <clears throat> like, I like comedy. I just don't really like. I'll take my comedy in TV and movie form. Okay. Comedic books just interesting. Sort of wear on me. Okay. Huh. Um, it's just side question. Sorry. Is Hitchhiker's Guide a com a comedic book? Oh, completely. Have but that work. No, I have not read it. God, I have not read how it. Are you my brother? Um, joking me right you? now? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm disappointed sorry, in Rob. Honestly, who are you? <laughs> I'm disappointed even? in myself. <laughs> I mean, I was Rob's roommate for like two years, and I read Good Omens under his influence. So I don't know how Chris escaped this. I, I magically escaped it. So wait, if you, but you, you just said that uh, comedic books kind of wear on you. <clears throat> Hitchhiker's Guide, you like? I would recommend it to a seventh grader. Who was looking for an entertaining uh, book to read? He's basically ah. like the girl who's like, "Oh, Star Wars is like a pew pew movie." Like I've seen, it. I dated the girls that were like, "Oh, I tried to watch Star Wars, but it's pew pew. There's nothing else to it." So, uh, bravo yeah. for bringing Star Wars into the discussion. Yeah, how did that get here? <laughs> it's basically the same um, analogy of somebody that's like, "Everybody loves this thing," and then the one girl that's like, "Um, if I was like a, you know, no, just lasers, <laughs> it's just lasers. <laughs> There's nothing more um, to it." So, so Pete is the Just Lasers girl. You're the Just Lasers girl. I'll, I will be the Just Lasers girl. Um, all right. So we have the, the board is set. We have two outcasts, one who, who is not familiar with the material and one who has read it and does not enjoy it. So I'm assuming we'll probably all interject opinions at various times. Uh, let me toss a ball up into the air. Uh, kind of a two-part question to kind of kick us off. Um, why... Why is this novel held in such high regard? And how, how did this collaboration even happen between these two legendary authors? Uh, the collaboration happened because they used to hang out in the same bar. Um, <laughs> it's the best of all. <laughs> the best of all origin stories is bar. It's in a bar. <laughs> yeah, no, they, uh, they hung out in the same bar or, or pub somewhere in the British Isles, and they... Uh, 
you know, they knew of each other and they were fans of each other's work. And they just, over one of their many conversations one day, came up with an idea of what if the Antichrist was adopted by a normal family? And then it just rolled from there. Yeah, and I think it was, um, but Gaiman actually had the, uh, he had been working on a similar idea already. Because oh, yeah. they used to get together and talk about, like, uh, they did a lot of just talking about physics, basically. Like, Pratchett was a really big physics fan, um, which kind of plays a role a lot in uh, Discworld. You'll see, like, a lot of weird sort of metaphysics and physics and stuff that cross that entire world. And so he was a big fan. So it was Gaiman. They talked a lot. And Gaiman had been working on I don't remember the author, but there's, like, somebody who writes, like, an Antichrist series, like, more serious. And he'd been thinking about parodying it. Uh, and so he approached Terry Pratchett. Or not an approach, but like in a conversation, it came up like you were saying. Hmm. So they ended up uh, sort of being like, "Well, we could. Do you want to, do you want to help write this thing? I love each other. If they loved each other's works, mm-hmm. so yeah. Um, do, so so why is the novel like? Why is this held up so high? You know, and and is this the best work? Is this the best example of their respective works? I'm gonna say no to that um, because it's hard to pin down any one of the authors in the book there are occasional hmm. flashes where you could see oh this is obviously neil gaiman and it's other stuff that's yeah. obviously terry pratchett but the majority of the book uh kind of floats in this middle area where you're not quite sure whose idea it was um and it really doesn't feel like either one of their books hmm. yeah. yeah i think it's a great it's a really good collaboration i think it's what yeah. like what stands out is it's a really great collaboration between really two great often like authors minds because it's it definitely revolves around for me it feels like a lot of Gaiman's ideas filtered through Pratchett's writing yeah um, yeah because there's like Gaiman says I think he wrote fifty percent of it and Gaiman and then Pratchett was like eh, it was more like seventy percent but that was also because I was an asshole racing for the good bits after we'd talk I'd be like the first <laughs> one to be like I want to get this shit down out of the way because like that was awesome conversation uh, yeah. Yeah, for me, uh, uh, Gaiman would rather uh, write a poem a lot of the time where a book would do. Hmm. And uh, so this is, like, Gaiman's best, like, he's really good, I feel like, at at archetypes and mythology and, like, really big, uh, dense ideas about, like, uh, the supernatural. And... Uh, Pratchett, I feel like, is really good at humanizing uh, big ideas. Hmm. So, uh, him him acting as a filter for Gaiman's like often like too large uh, of a view uh, was really nice. That's a really intelligent way to put what I was trying to say. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> just edit out my part and just kind of cut to Zach. That'd be great. Uh, all I'm all I'm really good at is rephrasing other people's work. <laughs> oh, we're gonna be being like we're gonna be good friends, like gaming. It's gonna be like gaming and Brad. It's gonna be great. Yeah. <laughs> you want to write a book? Yeah, I'll email you floppy disks. It's gonna be great. Oh, dear. <laughs> email you floppy disk money. Um, Rob, what about you? What are your kind of thoughts about some of the questions we're drifting around right now? Yeah, they they both have put it pretty succinctly. I think both uh, uh, what Byron and Zach said. I, it, I think it is a, a filtering. Uh, a, of Gaiman's ideas through Terry Pratchett. I think it's a great, great way to say it. And I will, you know what, I, I think also, to, to, not to shorten or lengthen this portion, but to Pete, the uh, outcast, 
to his credit as well. I like that. It's a way to differentiate. To Outcast Pete's credit. Laser lady. In terms of, I don't think it is in terms of writing and intelligence like of a seventh grader any more than like, you know, span a lot. Or I'm sorry, span a lot. But the Holy Grail or, you know, Douglas Adams would be. But in terms of if you read a really great idea and a presentation of idea or see it or something first it is that thing locked in your mind so star wars sure. something like that whereas if you're the person who you know afterwards you know has been through some of the later iterations of this one perfect idea like if you read game of thrones and then see game of thrones and then you try to go back and read lord of the rings you're like oh this is kind of derivative uh, you know, like, I feel like I see what this guy's going for, but, like, elves are way more interesting than he makes them. And you hmm. kind of lose a lot of the effect. So that could be very well, I think, what goes on in something of a seminal work like this. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I think we're all probably in the same rough age range, you know, in that sort of, like, 35 to 50 so like damn god damn I don't damn know who's where. I don't know we're all around 16 to 78 <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. no but i mean yeah so like like most of you guys probably ran across this around the time that it was coming out like early to mid 90s yeah so like like it makes a difference if you if you run across a book that's like contemporary and new and then running across that same book 25 years later Oh, oh, I can interject with something. Yeah, like that one time that I watched Lady Hawk when I was an adult, and it just didn't. Oh, no. Just, so, oh, didn't, no. Don't you dare talk yeah. shit about Lady Hawk. It didn't work for me. It didn't no, but work. How are you, my brother? I, look, look, I love Rugger Howard, but Lady Hawk was, it was bad. I'm but sorry. But after you've had great bad. fantasy works, trying to, so for us, that was an oasis of fantasy, right? Like you've read, mm-hmm. similar to Outcast Pete. I, yep. Sixth grade was spent under the covers reading Lord of the Rings for me, and then like eighth, ninth grade, you're tracking down like this. Wait, there's more. The Silmarillion. You're like, what's going on? I didn't know there was more, and so you spend all this time like trying to track down other fantasy works. So in any any film, like the original Dragon Slayer, if anybody, I just watched this, that the other day. <laughs> God, you know, like any like morsel, you're like this fucking brilliant Lady Hawk. She transforms. The effects are amazing. You know. <laughs> So yeah, you, you come across Best soundtrack that later ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nothing we obviously can't afford to Europe like synth music. Right. I gotta tell you, <laughs> a theremin. <laughs> um, when did when did good when did Good Omens come out? When was it released? Nineteen ninety. Oh wow, was it really? I thought I thought it was yeah. earlier than that. I don't know why. <clears throat> um, Zach, I want to throw this over to you because you kind of touched on it, and I'm just kind of curious. Um, just for a little more explanation, uh, what are the differences between Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett? Like, what are their calling cards? You know, like, what what defines well, them as writers? I think for, um, I think I can speak a little more eloquently about uh, Neil Gaiman than I can about Terry Pratchett. I've only ever read a couple of Terry Pratchett books, um, and it was because I experienced what, I, I can't remember who else said this earlier, but... When I start to get into it, I get a little, it feels a little like, it wears on me a little bit. Um, and I'm, I have a hard time uh, going with the flow because I, lo- I, love the, I love the big ideas, but I also want them to, I, I just, my fiction, I like it to stretch really far and have a really big reach. And for me, Pratchett, uh, it, it doesn't hit that note for me. But uh, 
for Neil Gaiman, um, I got into American Gods after this, and I got into Sandman after yeah. this, and both of them were these huge works of like really deep, intense, really big, you know, moments, and um, they they felt so sweeping and and grand, and like there were all of these like in between moments that caused the big sweeping moments that were fascinating too. I, I just, I loved how uh, ambitious uh, they were. Um, where for me, Pratchett was like reducing an idea. Gaiman was like, I have this idea. Here's the biggest version of it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that, that was for me the that's, difference, but I'm, yeah. I'm happy to hear anyone tell me that I'm wrong. I'd uh, love to hear. I don't really need that. I've actually not yeah. read a lot of Terry Pratchett at all. I, I haven't even tried the Disc, Discworld series yet. Um, this is literally the only thing I've ever read by him. Uh, so I can't actually speak to that at all. But I've read a lot of Neil Gaiman, and um, I'm, I think I'd be willing to try a little more Terry Pratchett. But I just, I just, the Discworld series seems a little intimidating. It really, it really shouldn't intimidate you. I've been, uh, I've been reading Pratchett for twenty some years. Um, wow. And I've read most of the Discworld. I still haven't read all of them, but it's not like it's a constantly connected narrative there are a few mm-hmm. character sets that have their own um plot lines so there are six or seven books revolving around this set of characters and then four or five around this set of characters who wrote um, uh i i might have read some terry pratchett i don't know who wrote the uh, the the series about like time and and death and is that you're thinking of pierce anthony yes i am 100 oh, yeah that's incarnations yeah. of immortality i like that one yeah. too um but yeah, Pratchett, um, yes, it's goofy and silly. Uh, it's kind of like reading Monty Python on the page. Um, hmm. And there's a lot of that humor throughout it all. But I mean, I wouldn't say he's he's too reductive because a lot of his ideas are pretty sophisticated by the time you get to the end of the book. Uh, particular, my favorite one of his Discworld ones, which is a standalone Discworld, it's called Small Gods. Uh, and it's a brilliant book about, uh, you know, religion and how it warps people and warps their actions and it's just hilarious because the most powerful god in the world is stuck in the body of a one-eyed turtle <laughs> one-eyed box turtle and it's hilarious he tries to smite you know, people I, I, and he hits is that a good shock. it's a great <laughs> is that a good entry point for Discworld or anything i yeah, think like, it, it can that. be yeah i'm sorry i keep cutting you off byron no you don't like please you're actually speaking I'm that was me sorry byron um no i think that was i was actually gonna uh jump on peter's uh train in the sense of that was the one that i was going to recommend to you uh zachary was oh, okay. small gods it is because i do think in the same sense like what pratchett does really wonderfully is take these giant ideas and focus them so funnily through like really great dialogue and kind of fast moving pieces that you kind of realize towards the end you're like oh like you were saying there are like guards guard series which follows the rule of law and the idea of governance and general civics and it has incredible ideas and great like some of the most amazing monologues you'll ever read on the page about the rule of law and why Mm. democracy is important and why these particular aspects of like um civics are important and at the same time he does the witches and then like like you were saying there's mostly there's some through lines uh, right there's like four main ones to be clear i just ordered 
uh, all 41 Terry Pratchett Discworld books. First editions. Wow. Hard copy from I'm, I'm, a tiny bookstore in Maryland. They're being shipped I'm a here. little more inclined to, to take your advice on yeah. this. Then. No, I'm I mean... going to defer to Byron. Yeah. I mean, yeah. don't. Like, I, to be clear, I'm jumping on Peter's back. Like, I'm actually saying exactly what he's saying. I'm just... I'm like, listen. When it, and I've also read Gaiman. Like, I love him. Mm. Uh, the only thing by him I haven't read is actually Sandman. Uh, That's what I started with, book. actually. And, yeah. So, but, but Neverwhere and things like that, I'm a huge fan. Uh, yeah. But yeah, in terms of Pratchett, like, his, his magic is just dialogue and taking ideas. Very Douglas Adams. That's why it's comparative. Taking mm. these amazing ideas, mm. wrapping them around, warping them, putting them through characters. Uh, like, Mar- you know, Marvin... Uh, like a depressing robot <laughs> oh, yeah. or something like that well, taking like these android. things in paranoid android and like which way better than depressing robot uh, and you know condensing ideas of um, characters and humanity into these little through lines that you suddenly at the end you're like holy shit I didn't realize I just read that that was fantastic that's, um, yeah that's fantastic yeah oh, I'm sorry Chris uh, Pete you brought up uh, good Pete not not angry Pete <laughs> <laughs> um, good Pete um, uh uh, we were talking off mic actually here before we recorded. Um, I tried. I've never read. I've never read um, uh, Gaiman, but I, I tried to read. Seriously, how do you have this podcast? I know. I know. I know. Uh, I tried to read Terry Pratchett, um, and I, I told Pete here. I, I you know I got like four or five pages into it, and it kind of felt like what you said, good Pete. It was you know like uh, reading Monty Python. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't like that. Like I didn't hate it, but I just it just didn't click with me. And the the more I kind of observe my own reading habits, I don't I don't really like my fantasy or my sci-fi to be funny. Like I don't mind if they have funny characters, but if it's like if the overall tone is comedic, uh, aside from like you know Futurama, it just doesn't click with me for some reason. I don't really know why that is. Um, so. Yeah, I don't I'm know. Not, it just I'm not sure either just... because I found one of the reasons I was so drawn to Terry Pratchett is because I, I found most of the fantasy and sci-fi I was reading was so heavy and dark. Mm-hmm. Every book was about the fate of the universe and how we have to manage. Yeah. So is this the, one. The yeah. dark forces. <laughs> the, and, the stakes of everything. Exactly. Yeah. Everything's so dark and deep and occasionally someone will tell a joke and they'll laugh and then they'll remind each other how miserable the world is and we have to make this fight. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. can we just enjoy the Jokes moment? Jokes don't belong like, here in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, I, he takes all these popular tropes and flips them upside down and just makes you laugh at them. I mean, the most charming character is death <laughs> like the yeah. embodiment of death who by the way is the exact same death that's in good omens uh that yeah across tra- all universes transcends all yeah. universes it's the death and so uh neil gaiman had terry pratchett write every bit about the horseman because that was entirely i love the horseman so much <laughs> well so we keep kind of drifting around it let's let's chat about good omens specifically uh pete and at any time, like if we interject something that you totally want to smack down, please <clears throat> let me know. Now, that let's, so let's jump into the specifics of the show. I or the or the book. I have no idea what this book is about. I know it's about the Antichrist and a, and an angel and a devil come together and they're trying to do something. That's all I know. That's it. I'm out. 
That's all I know. That's that, all I got. That's about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, that you nailed it. That was it. Yeah. yeah. So, there's, so I mean, fun. there's an accident. So it's about the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, fucking right. Mm-hmm. What's our language on this? Because too late. <laughs> been real reserved. So, so, Just fucking uh, go for it. It is. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. You're fine. Yeah, uh, you are. You are. I will trust your judgment on any of this at this point. I mean, don't. Like, I could be lying. I've never read Pratchett. I don't even. I just read a summary real quick and I jumped on. Uh, <laughs> it is about the classic end of the world is happening. The world is roughly, you know, whatever, six thousand years old. Everybody, like, all the most like insular, right wing, small religion aspects have, are correct. And the world's about to end, and they're introducing the uh, the Antichrist to the world. Only there's a mix-up at the hospital, and the children get accidentally swapped. And so the Antichrist has a normal upbringing in Britain, in a small village. And it's what occurs at that moment um, changes everything. And so it's the apocalypse, is, and he has all the powers of the Antichrist, and then the small boy who... <laughs> is the antichrist or who thinks he's the antichrist is really just a terrible little boy being raised by like the american consular um oh, yeah american. yeah the americans yep. are yeah americans. they were early behind the ball on the uh, easy villain yeah. easy villain yeah. neil <laughs> he's just mad about star wars not to bring it back around but he was just mad at the villains so that's it and then the whole the whole thing plays out and there's a, a series of prophecies by agnes nutter who was an ancient witch who uh her sort of you know her uh, people are in the book like her great 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 granddaughter or whatever and she, uh, she was the only <laughs> true ever person to ever uh, have accurate um, not forecast what, prophecies what would you call? Yeah. prophecies yeah she's the only accurate person who all her prophecies and it didn't sell it was incredibly boring it was terrible it was dull but she only did the uh, book deal so she'd get one free copy that she could pass down to her ancestors that's it <laughs> and that's the book that's the book of good omens or no that's that, no, that's no, no, the, no. the very important uh, prophecies of agnes nutter they come oh, into yeah, play about the end of the world prophecies of agnes nutter. and they're yeah, so nuts. accurate and specific that they'll be like turn around mark and, <laughs> yeah. and the moment you read yeah. you turn around oh yeah. <laughs> and there's like a, My... there's an order of witch hunters that still exist in the world yeah. but it's down to like the last two and they're just like one really old guy and one young guy that just does it for I don't remember like free lunch or something every <laughs> once in a while or something dumb yeah uh, Pete here in LA uh, right. you were about to say something we totally barreled over you oh no all good I think the book has been pretty well summarized I mean the other the other big important thing besides the Antichrist and the prophecies <laughs> is that the book revolves around an angel and a demon who have both gotten pretty comfortable living as part of human society over the last 6,000 years mm-hmm. and don't really want the world to end. They hmm. kind of respect humanity for completely different reasons. Like, the angel loves humanity because they can... The, the acts of kindness that they'll come up with rival any angel and the, the cruelty that... Uh, Humans can come up with rival any demon, or sometimes even more, uh, more creative than uh, the demons. Right. So yeah, sort of the the theme of the book is that like humanity has this kind of middle ground that isn't purely good or purely evil, and essentially that's probably the best way forward. Are uh, Neil Gaiman or Terry Pratchett religious or spiritual at all? Terry Pratchett was an atheist. Okay. Yeah. I don't know about Neil Gaiman. Okay. I, I would guess he's kind of into like 
Well, that's an interesting idea. Let's right. Think about that. Yeah. yeah. Cool enough. Yeah. He's like, yeah. cool religion. I'll write a book about it. <laughs> so, are this, are this, is this demon and angel kind of working, at, uh, uh, working together against the wishes of Armageddon? You know, against the wishes of the world. Basically, or, you know, the yeah. planned. Yeah. Destruction so, of the world. Okay. So the message comes down to start the Great War. The Antichrist has been born. It's time to start the Great War between good and evil that will eradicate the world, yada, yada. And the angel and the demon who were – the angel is the angel of, with the flaming sword at the Garden of Eden. And the demon is the snake that tempted Eve. So they've been there hmm. since the beginning, and they quite like it, and they don't want a war. And that's why they – They haven't left. <laughs> and they've never left. They, yeah. So they're kind of more human than anyone else. Yeah, they're just bopping around, eating at restaurants, like doing really, really complex, like angelic or demonic things. Which they're slightly confused about who started one of the yeah. other. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Wait, like, wait, the was, Renaissance? Was that you? I thought that was, was that us. You, it was kind of good, yeah. but it was kind of bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still in Game of Thrones mode, so like I'm used to a book where my point of view keeps shifting. Who do we spend time with in this book? It's like a who's our third person everyone. narrative? Yeah, yeah okay, so great. It floats around. Right. Yeah. Yeah, jumps around. So there's yeah. the, and all and all of the siblings are only siblings. So yeah. just keep that. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. married to their sister. Nobody. No. <laughs> no. Thank God. None of that. None of that. None of that. So there's there's like the them, which is Adam and his little crew, right? And they're basically kind of a reflective of the horsemen. Um. So it's there's Adam and the them, which is uh, I mean I don't want to say they're like Stranger Things kind of scenario or like. Um, like Stephen King, little group of friends who all run around on their bikes and kind of help thwart hmm. the uh, eventual outcome, uh, led by the Antichrist, who's a natural leader, naturally, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's just a normal the, kid. He's a normal guy, exactly. Mm-hmm. There's the Four Horsemen, which is honestly why I stopped watching the show with Scarlet, because she is an incredible character in her introduction in the book. They gloss over the Horsemen in the show. Oh, they really do. do. They really? I, yeah. I just yeah. so the first two episodes, I saw it happening. And when they introduced her, so in the book, they introduce her, and it's incredible the way that she's introduced is like calmly sitting in a bar in some third world country, and wherever she goes, war just breaks out. She makes it happen, obviously, but less so in such a forceful, manipulative way, more just because she's there, and she's just showing up with these perfect time with a certain selected it's amount of It's her nature. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and then they, they changed one of the four horsemen, too, right? Uh, Pestilence became pollution. Yeah. Well, that that's part of the book. That is part that's, of the book. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. He that walked. He walked book, away muttering most, penicillin. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the most Terry Pratchett thing in the entire book, is that pollu- okay. uh, pestilence retired in the fifties, muttering something about penicillin. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Nice. Right. And I love famine too, because famine's like having a great time. Because he oh yeah, he's a millionaire. Fad diets. He's fad diets. Burgers or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he creates food that has no nutritional yeah, value. Yeah, and it will get you fat. <laughs> <laughs> so it, yeah, exactly. It it, <sighs> it malnourishes you while making you it's, fat. So he's he's a billionaire. It's such a gorgeous skewering of uh, I don't, America again. <laughs> um. So, like, who who? But I guess you know between the demon and the angel, or for somebody else, is there a favorite character in this in this book, or is it a pretty big ensemble piece for you all? I think ensemble piece is the best way to put it. Yeah, I can't I, yeah, yeah. narrow in on one. I think, and you know there, what, that is an amazing comment on the book in, in general, Chris. And I think kudos to you for narrowing it down there. I haven't read it, so thank you. <laughs> no, but truly, I mean, the idea of reading something so good that it's not, 
like that's one of the things I love about it is it 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 just it's all about the ideas. It's about the play out of this incredible scenario. But mm-hmm. truly, like every time you're with Adam, you love it. Every time you're with uh, what is Agnes Nutter's daughter? I can't remember. Um, or, or, anathema. Yeah. Anathema, yeah. Device. Yeah. Every time you're with... <laughs> anathema device, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, there's no boring characters. There's no Theon Greyjoy. Like, there's no... no... There is... Listen. Um, I'm so, Theon Greyjoy is not a boring character. That's a, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to back Zach on this. Well, uh, yeah, separate chat. There's, there's, separate there's a chat. whole background of, like, very ordinary British people. Hmm. Who are just trying to live their lives, mm-hmm. just get like collided into by all these events. Yeah. So Outcast Peter, will you tell him about the letter writer, please? The, the guy who li- the guy who writes letters. I feel like that's. Oh, oh, you feel like that's me? <laughs> no. no. Oh God, no! This is not an attack, <laughs> not at all. I was saying, of anything you enjoyed in this book, it would probably be the weird out the guy that writes letters. No, actually, I really like uh, Crowley. Um, See, I had the I had the exact opposite reaction about the like, is there a lead character? Is there an ensemble? Like, yes, it's an ensemble, but he's really the only one that I like am really interested in. First among um, equals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's you know, like like every probably small town in Britain has, it there's like the guy who writes letters to the editor every day, who lives in the same town as the Antichrist. So <laughs> So throughout a couple of the chapters, he's composing like ever more insane sounding letters to the editor about everything that's happening around him. Okay. Reigns of frogs like, and so on. And... Yeah. Like the, the weather changing, the four horsemen of the apocalypse riding through town on motorcycles. Yeah. That, that sort of stuff. And I think like that's really like, that's also kind of a Terry Pratchett side of things is to like ridicule sort of his own society but in a way where he clearly loves it mm-hmm. like he loves the existence of these like sort of dowdy people just living their lives amidst insane events mm-hmm. hmm. um, do you all feel the book is a uh, kind of a product of its time or does it kind of really just kind of stand outside of time uh, I think it it there are you see that it's a product of its time just from the technology inside of it, mm. but you, it's really so easy to forgive that as you're reading it. Like, oh, of course, well, the internet wasn't as big, and mm. oh, yeah, a payphone, that's, isn't that quaint? Yeah. But like, you know, the, it's the same as any book from the 80s or 90s where that change was still happening, I guess, you yeah. know? I mean, I guess any book ever, you know, like you, you see the, the evidence of its time, but, uh, uh, the ideas are way, way larger than, it, it, than the technology. It, I just asked the question because, you know, like listening to you all chat about this, um, you know, like how he, they kind of take digs of like, of course the Antichrist is going to be raised in America. Of course, you know, Pestilence retired in the 50s. I like, I, I'm curious if the book was to be written today, what changes would be in it, if any? You know, like what would they try and skewer? What would they, you know? It's I a mean, big hypothetical. They'd, they'd, be, they'd be taking shots at oh, Trump 100%. left and right. Yeah. I'm wow. certain. The idea of I mean, fake news, like probably yeah. one of the horsemen, yeah. war, somebody would have a Yeah, I'm to... thinking war would uh, be all about the cyber warfare and uh, mm. propaganda com- campaigns. Yeah. That, that sounds like it's something she would do. Yeah.
let's drift into the show, which came out this year and uh, has a stellar cast, of course. Uh, again, I've not watched the show, but um, yeah. So how, where are we hovering on the show here in our discussion? Byron, you said you, you did not like the show. Isn't it? Did, any, did anybody else here not like the show, aside from Bad Pete? <laughs> The show had its problems. I liked the show as a whole. Um, and there were so many little nods to stuff they couldn't couldn't touch on from the book, like Elvis being a short order cook. Uh, like you see him in the background in a certain scene. It's just little stuff like that that they you know they, they said, hey, we're gonna give this this little love to the readers. But mm-hmm. as a whole, there there were some changes I would have made with the with the show, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of the casting yeah. specifically. Yeah, I would say the 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 well, I don't know about the casting. The the climax for me was really anticlimactic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boy, did it feel just like thirteen epilogues and, and no yeah. resolution. You know, it was just uh, it it was disappointing for it to. Uh, I mean, maybe fitting for it to meander off and not really have like a. A, a strong ending, I did see a but... um, a review of the show that said, oh, I really can't wait for season two. <laughs> and I was like, oh, poor guy. <laughs> well, you know that they announced, <laughs> because they get protested, they yeah. announced they weren't going to do a season two. <laughs> which is one of the funniest things ever was they, <laughs> That's they were being protested and they were like, all right, fine. We'll not do season two. We're going to cancel Stranger Things. And everybody's things. like, good. Well, I guess we won. <laughs> and they <laughs> backed off and it was like, well, Shit, that was yeah. easy. All right. Weren't all the like super conservative religious people like protesting the That's wrong it. streaming they service? They were protesting the wrong streaming service. They said it was on Netflix. Yeah, they were all like writing letters to Netflix about like, yeah. you can't put a show on with demons. And they were like, well, what? we didn't. What about Supernatural? Supernatural. And, like, 30 no, other they, shows. they're upset because it, it, it it's heavily based on the Bible, the history. Yeah. Is ex- and they just lampoon right. it the entire time. Well, and Amazon came back and right. said, if uh, if Netflix cancels ours, we're going to cancel Stranger Things. So, <laughs> yeah. oh god, oh god, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. I felt was, I'll tell you after two episodes, and the reason I stopped watching it was, I you know I, I brought up like obviously the the changes in terms of the the Four Horsemen, but it felt perfectly cast. I really do love uh, David Tennant, and then. The guy from Thirty Rock was really good. Um, Tenant and the guy from Thirty Rock—it's a new Broadway how, show. That's how, how I'm going to refer to this incredible actor that I can't remember his name at the Michael wrong Sheen. moment. I think Michael. Michael Sheen. Sheen. Yeah, you yeah. Um, Liz Lemon's like boyfriend. Um, so, great, and I wanted to go for the real random reference too. Um, so I, Underworld. It, I felt like it was perfectly cast, and yeah, seriously. Um, and Jack Whitehall, like, anyways. Point being, I, I think it was wonderfully cast and very poorly directed. Maybe that's what it was. Um, yeah, they yeah. had these really great performers and a, a script that I maybe just having this conversation with you guys, I, I, which is you know very enlightening. I think maybe there's something to because Neil Gaiman wrote the screenplay, right? That was the only way that so, they said he would it would get right. made as if he did it. Yeah. So the hmm. interesting thing of the ideas coming from him. A lot of them being filtered through Pratchett, about 70%, and then going back through Gaiman, who is, like, Terry Pratchett is a dialogue writer. That's what he does. That's what he's great at. That's one of the reasons, like, if people love him or, you know, like, when you do get into him, it's not necessarily 
that he writes funny it's that he writes dialogue so it's almost like you're reading a movie sometimes and you're living that kind of experience and you and a lot of that was taken away <laughs> and so the dialogue became worse than the book a little bit they lifted a lot of dialogue out of the book though they really did but 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 shortening but, certain scenes and and like cutting stuff out maybe maybe you're right maybe it was maybe because you didn't have the whole those little bits seemed mm-hmm. worse because it's yeah. more importantly like you guys are talking about the climax which i haven't seen but you know like this is what i do i direct and so like the idea of like you're telling one emotional arc per episode and then also over the entire thing and if you're hitting the right moments and the right buttons and the right cues everything's fine that's very forgivable and that's how stories work right as human beings we like we know when a story is right even if we don't know why it's right we know when we're watching something and it works oh, and yeah. it's right and you feel when that doesn't work and you're like why why did you you know inside we're just like why'd you change this character this one thing but it's probably not one thing it's just that they in trying to bastardize this thing and contain it into one format one one uh, story they ended up murdering little parts of it that that made it different I, I that think was hard. That those... was fucking harsh. I didn't mean to be. <laughs> like, I've watched two episodes. I can't say that shit. But like now, I sound like Outcast Pete. <laughs> I think I think one of the things about the show that really confused me was the relationship between uh, the angel and the demon, because Michael Sheehan's portrayal and uh, Byron. I think if you get further into the show, you see it more. Michael Sheehan's portrayal. What it really told me was that he was in love with Crowley, right? And that they would end up together, I'd, like on a romantic. I didn't level. necessarily get and that. I thought it was. I, yeah, I thought it but was finish, but finish. Yeah, I'm so sorry to interrupt. <laughs> uh, yeah, all, all I could see was Michael Sheehan giving him like doe eyes the whole time. I was like, "Well, kiss him already, Jesus! What are we doing?" Like it, it seemed like, and I was, and I was for the nice. choice. I was like, "That's a stronger way to, to portray that relationship, maybe." And it's a nice way to update this story. Is like, "Oh, okay, they're in love with each other. Great. That makes that provides some context for like why this big change in the world is taking place." And it's interesting, and it's a nice adaptation for television because it should be a different story for television. But they, it seemed like they wanted to go there, but didn't because they were being really sort of. Uh, they were slavishly following the particulars of the novel when there were there were things that felt like, well, we should grow in this direction or grow in that direction mm-hmm. to to adapt this for a different medium. But they just they they never found that good spot. Well, I think largely to that to wit to that point, one of the issues with that would be and again, I haven't seen it, but would be you compromise one of the characters because if the idea is they're both tent poles on either side by one of them being more in love with the other one. If that were the case, then one of them is compromised by nature because they're going to fold in order exactly. to provide affection. So and that in, kind of that an would, imbalance would, it creates would natural, nullify yeah. the whole the yeah. whole thing. When right? in fact yeah. they are, it's them awkwardly on either side being like, I mean, I don't want this to end, and you don't want this to end. Shit, and so we're going to mm-hmm. and awkwardly kind of working together the entire time. So you know, in a in a sense of. Uh, all right, well, I'm going to give in just a little bit. You give in just a little bit. I'm going to give in just a little bit. You do this one thing. I'll do this one thing. Um. That's interesting, though. I, it will, I would need to watch the rest of it, obviously, because I find that fascinating, that they might have made that choice. That'd be cool. Let me, let me throw it to the Peets, and, and <laughs> we'll start with good Pete first. Um, we'll get to it's you, okay. bad it's Pete. Okay. We'll get to you. No. Um, Pete, what are, your, what are your thoughts about the show? Well, I like the show. I wouldn't say I loved it as much as I did the book, a lot for a lot of the reasons that Robin Byron mentioned, that is that it 
they lifted a lot of my favorite things out of it. Um, the whole Elvis thing, the it was a little moment. They showed Death playing a trivia game, oh, but the dialogue yeah. around the trivia game yeah, it wasn't was fair. hilarious. Um, and they just they glossed over the horsemen. They weren't nearly as cool. In fact, they were they seem meaner in the show than they did in the book. In the book, they were like, "Ah, eh, it's my job." Yeah, people are gonna die, but eh, you know, it's the, it's all about the work. And in this one, they're like, "Good, let's kill them all." And it's like, it's they're they're not villains; they're a force of nature. Um, and so there were just little things I disagreed with. I have to admit, the first time I watched it, I actually fell asleep during the fourth episode because the Antichrist storyline in the show is boring. Uh-huh. <laughs> Holy hell, is it boring? Um, yeah, I'd put that on the actor though, the kid. Yeah. Yeah, and like he said about the direction, I think that's an excellent point about the the cast and the even the script being good, um, but it not being well directed. And also, there was a little too much game in it. It got again, it got heavy and ponderous again, and it lost a lot of the whimsy that made the book carry along. That made it an easy read. It seemed like a much heavier tale than the book was. You you bring up a really great thing about the. Um the them or like the the antichrist one of the places it lost me so quickly was when they introduce so chris they introduce a hellhound because mm-hmm. obviously he's the antichrist so in the book in the way i, I thought they were going to do it in the movie in the way i, I thought it'd be fantastic so in the book it's finally the hellhound enters the world right and it searches for its master and it's a hellhound so it's you know just giant beast fiery eyes it's a creature and i fought exact... them in D. I, I am familiar with them okay exactly that's a perfect so at that exact moment I, I think he's describing the dog he would want for his birthday because they're like what do you what do you want for your birthday the again these are basically stand by me like it's these four kids uh pepper's like the most is there, her name's pepper yeah pepper's like this fantastic like, fire so they're all talking and he's like what do you i like want a dog and they're like oh what kind of dog do you want and it's like and what I pictured in the show and what I've always pictured in my mind and what I wanted to see was this hellhound coming slowly out. And he's like, ah, you know, it'd probably be like, oh, you want like a giant dog? And he's like, oh, I don't want like a giant dog. I want a smaller dog. You know, and then it goes a little smaller, like, you know, it's like big floppy ears and this. And it slowly changes to match. So by the time the hellhound comes out to meet them, it's like this fluffy little dog. And that's kind of what happens in the book. It wasn't. Uh, paced right no it, no, really it was wasn't. so awkwardly done in the directing yeah. it'd be i mean you could do it so funny as you're watching this change happen to that this beast from hell mm-hmm. as they're having and it because that informs the, the kids dynamic and the fact that you're filtering this kid's the antichrist he has the power to destroy the world but he's raised as a normal human being so in the same way that angels like you were saying are you know they're on either in the other side of things and humans are the best thing in the middle that's the whole point of this story is that it's what if left to our own devices, what are we going to do? What's the final outcome? Like, that's really what kind of the core question is, is look, all this stuff's around and all the, you know, humanistic questions we've tried to answer through religion, take all that shit away, left to our own devices, what happens? Hmm. And that's the story of Adam. And to know that Adam is a subpar part of this story, part of the story, part of the story, part of the story. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that, like, the Four Horsemen, which are these composites of religion and archetypy and all these amazing things, are left as composites and left as, like, smaller parts, then you're really left with not a lot of the story. Um, Pete, you, you, yeah. I, you've oh been waiting God. to jump in. So I know. So. I know. So I think 
I think partly because I have less of a connection to the book, I didn't see as many of those flaws in the TV show. And I think it's that same thing where like, you know, like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie Mm. is just wretched. I don't think anyone who's like a real like deep down core fan is going to be like, oh, you know what? You should watch the movie first and then read the book. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think with this, I think if you if you're so attached to the book, you you've got all your favorite bits and you've got your favorite jokes and you've got your favorite moments. And then when you're watching the show, you're just waiting to see your favorite moment come up and see what they did with it. And if they decided like, eh, it just doesn't tell the story we're trying to tell, and they don't put it in then I think you're going to spend the whole show feeling like, oh my God, they're just ruining this character. Like I honestly, the, I don't feel like a lot of those things detracted too much. I would agree that like the kids on the show are all kind of these one note caricatures. Whereas in the book, they feel like a real group of kids who can like argue about things and they don't, they don't always just fill their like, oh, this is the nerdy one and this is the messy one and this is the bossy one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, re- reduced to a single character trait that every time they're on screen, they're doing something with that character yeah. trait. Yeah. Um, but also, like, I don't remember who it was, but somebody was like, yeah, the show felt anticlimactic. But I, the book feels anticlimactic to me, too. Like, hmm. almost like that's the point of it, is that we, whatever whatever side we tend to align ourselves with, we always want the big showdown. Like, we want somebody to win. And we want there to be this definite, like, you were right and they were wrong. And, like, the point of the book is, like, but actually that never really happens. We don't really want that to happen. We just want our lives to go on. Like, it is it is a big setup, and then it's like, oh, but we're not going to do that. Hmm. I mean... Well, I feel like it's... For me... I'm sorry, Byron, please. Uh, the only thing I'll say is I feel like that's equivalent of forgiving a bad presentation of a piece of literature for being part of the literature itself. So you're a Lord of the Rings fan. If Peter Jackson's movie had been not great and the Legacy and Glimmerly oh, like, it been terrible. It <laughs> okay, I mean, and maybe that's it. Maybe you no, just don't like things. Similar thing, yeah. But, like, but no, I mean, truly, like if... You know, if a, if a Spider-Man movie or something's bad, or if, you know... Too soon. Anything that we... Like, there's bad shows, and there's bad adaptations. And I don't... You know, and again, I've not watched the whole thing. I'm, ga- I'm gauging this, too, by some of these guys' reaction, too. But I, I'd be wary of saying that simply because something has bad presentation of ideas. Like, the kids being one note is not the fault, I think, of the adaptation or somebody wanting the show to only show the ideas of the children that just seems like well that's just bad that's like saying if if they did stand by me by stephen king and it was just crappy and one note characters that'd be like well you just wanted to see all these characters be interesting and you know full of depth and it's just you know that's your fault for wanting the movie to be like the book well no i think it's i think it's i mean elvis being at a restaurant it's a joke in the book it's not like a major plot point So Agreed. I think if, if that's going to be a thing that you're like, man, the series really let me down. I think that's putting too much expectation on the series. Well, I that absolutely was, agree with that. Yeah, I agreed. Absolutely. So that was, I use that as an example because the, it was the level of humor that you find in the book that I found lacking in the show. The show had some I, funny I bits. I agree with you there. Um, 
Yeah, and it wasn't just about the, the one joke in particular. It was a lot of those bits were all removed. And then, as Rob said, were just referenced in the background. Like, you see yeah. Elvis, a guy in an Elvis costume in a bar at one point. And if you know the book, you're like, oh, yeah, that the joke. But if you don't know the book, then it's like, why the fuck is Elvis? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I think it's it's also the nature of the medium, too. Because this is a, it's a very narrative-heavy book. Like, chapters go by where basically nobody talks. You're just talking about, like, what somebody's doing or, like, where they went. Or, like, you're cutting away to, like, give some background story. Whereas, like, on a show, like, people aren't just going to sit and watch a bunch of text scroll by. Like, cutting away to a footnote and things like that. Or things you can Star do Wars. in a book. <laughs> yeah, but then they <laughs> stop. <laughs> um, so I think they, they had to make that choice of, like... Are we gonna dwell on all these things, or are we just gonna include them? You're right. You're right. Because they, including Francis McDormand as the voice of God narrating it, you're absolutely right. That was a way to get around a lot of the narrative that's in the book and include yeah. some of it in the show. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah, I agree. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Byron. Go ahead. I was just gonna say to to Outcast Pete's point. Like, I, I do agree with a lot of what he's saying. Because I don't that that is absolutely not the core of any argument that I would make against the show. It's the lessening of the actual character like arcs and the storytelling sure. devices. Not so it's not like a single like I totally agree. Obviously, if you're adapting something, you can't include all these tiny elements without making every episode four hours long. But yeah. when you lessen core giant pieces, like you take the four horsemen, relegate them to one note, you take the them relegate them to one note and then you invest all your time in the two angels what you've done ultimately is you've made this show about two angels with a lot of ancillary pieces which takes away the balance of any of it so when we look at a book and say this thing is an ensemble piece i don't know who my favorite is then you do the same thing with the, you know take the show and make it oh it's about these two angels that can't blah 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 and then there's some other characters i have a just a quick fire of just technical questions but how long is the book it's not long. 400? Like, yeah, like 380. 400? Okay. okay. Somewhere around there. And how many episodes are there in the show? Six or seven. And who was the streaming service? Amazon. Amazon. Like, or, sorry. It's Amazon. It was, it's an yeah. Amazon show? Yeah, Amazon Prime, yeah. Uh, I'm just curious. Like, we, like uh, uh, Pete, you brought up uh, kind of the lack of or the diminishing of the humor that did not translate into the show. Um, I'm just kind of wondering if... Amazon's intention was to kind of fill the void left by Game of Thrones and make the show a little more dramatic to maybe try and capture some of that audience. I mean, this is just me spitballing this idea. I don't know if that's was the intention in the you know maybe production pitch I, meeting. I don't think it was intentional. I really don't. Okay. I, I think having not even three hundred pages. Game... Sorry. <laughs> no. Wow. Oh, it's not even three hundred. Two hundred eighty-eight pages. Oh, it's a short book. Yeah quick read um i think one of the weaknesses was having and it's no fault of his own but having neil gaiman do do the screenplay on his own because again mm -hmm. it it gets refiltered through neil gaiman's sensibilities mm -hmm. and he while he can write some funny things he's not a comedic author um and all of his stuff gets pretty heavy um and dark and so i just feel it yeah. made the entire experience darker um whether that's a good or a bad thing is is up to the viewer. But 
Yeah, I think the version that would be great. There's two things. One, the version that would be fantastic is uh, what's his name? Uh, Will Wheaton. Not Will Wheaton. Shit. Uh, Will, uh, definitely not Will, Will Wheaton. Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Shut up, uh, Will Wheaton. No, who who wrote that? Uh, who wrote that Marvels movie about the Avengers? Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon. That, that guy's a dialogue a specialist in the same way like Cratchit yeah. or somebody. So like, and he writes mm-hmm. stories really well. So like that kind of aspect. And then there's also one that almost got made in 2004 or two or something like that. That was uh, Terry Gilliam. Mm. That was the movie that yeah like that's the guy that yeah. should have directed this right like mm. that's the absurdist insane uh-huh. like I don't know yeah. why he was attached to it for ten years and well I it's because they were trying to whittle movie. it down to a movie that was the problem yeah. right and when they went ahead with Amazon and he, you know and the and like going with a British UK uh, production company and everything I can't imagine how the hell they didn't go like should we should at least fucking talk to like Terry, Poor Gilliam, Terry right? Gilliam, and maybe they did. I don't know, but like God Almighty, the guy of all the sensibilities to make this the truest to its form. That's interesting. Who is the director? Uh, I don't know, but I can look it up real quick. Okay, <laughs> it's probably the multiple. Fact directors it, I'm sure it is. Show, I guarantee you, it is. Show They're all stall for you. Yeah. Ah, the same guy who directed Thor: The Dark World. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, good point, Byrne. By the way, I want to be clear. Outcast Pete is not a, a derogatory thing. Right? Uh, we've moved on to we evil Pete. We're just calling him. Oh, oh yeah. fuck. Okay. Oh, I was I'm treating like... it as a very derogatory thing. Is that wrong? Or... It's actually my username on like six different forums. So... <laughs> um, Go on. So, Rob, I'm going to have you pick this up. Uh, the the question, question is actually really right. kind of moot. It's not a it's not a big question. I was just... The question I had was, uh, in relation to the Four Horsemen, uh, how did everybody feel that did watch the show feel about death in from the show? So, like, did you even like death in the show? I like. There well, was that was nothing. Brian. Like. Cox, yeah, right? I did not like him as death at all. It it didn't. It seemed less like a characterization and more like a sarcastic line reading. I just. I felt like, like he was um, never on set and just read his lines into a mic. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's where that's where I was like, oh, so okay, so yeah, they they got him to sit in his home studio and uh, record some of these lines. That's fine. Yeah. Brian <laughs> Brian Cox is that the guy from Succession? Is yeah. that who am I thinking? Yeah, of? and he yeah. he was in uh, X two. So many yeah. good movies. Great actor. Yeah, also great adaptation. Actor. He he's played. Great. Robert McPhee. Oh. Born uh, uh, one of the, two of the Born movies. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting too, because Death is such a uh, really awesome character. Yeah. Yeah. To think that, but, it, think, but it's a borderline. They could. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um. Is she awake? Oh, okay. All right. Well, we are well over the hour, uh, hour mark here, so I kind of just want to slowly wrap it up, and hopefully before my daughter. Uh, starts screaming her head off. Um, and I guess my question I kind of want to throw out there is, uh, should I watch Lady Hawk again? Yes. <laughs> no. Yes, you yeah. should. No. That's worthwhile. That's worth your time. If, it's um, not, watch it if on you don't mute. get it after the 20th time, then really, then fine. You, don't, you stop watching it. It's on me. It's on me if I don't 20 get times. it. 20 yeah. times. Um, uh, I guess my question is, I feel we're all kind of hovering that the book is better than the show uh, for the most part. Um, so... Would you recommend, if you only can give a person one book, would you give them Good Omens, or would you give them one of you know, Neil Gaiman's other works or one of Terry Pratchett's other works? Is there another work that, that, you know, 
That's no. my question. I think you give which, them yeah, Gettleman. Which person? Uh, let's start with you, Zach. You, I saw you jumping well, in. Uh, which which person am I giving this book to? Because I feel like mm. that that would that would make the question. Because like we talked about, like Neil Gaiman. Yeah, if if I've got like you know like my goth cousin like and he's like hanging out and like he's like donning some black lipstick and he's like I need to read something before I go out and stare at the moon then Neil Gaiman that's what I'm going to recommend to him straight up I'll recommend some straight up Neil Gaiman but if I've got like a funny chatty sciencey guy that you know I want to like hang out with and have a beer and like make you know make jokes about chemistry and then I'm going to I'm going to recommend uh, good omens okay yeah. That's a, kind of a good version, good way to take that question. Well, I really thought hard, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you have a you have a strange dichotomy of friends, Zach, on this scale here. Uh, want to get um, that guy and then, guy, the science guy in the same room, right. <laughs> and they're going to kill each other. Um, um, I do have Rob, so like yeah. I have been trying to get my girlfriend to read this book for five years, and. She won't. I finally bought her a copy. She mailed it to her mom. Um, the she watched the show. Now she wants to read the book. So okay. If nothing else, the show did that. Whatever the, whatever yeah. the entry point is, I feel like as long as you get to the book yeah. eventually. Would you recommend the book before I, the I, show? I, always, yeah. And the funny thing okay. is, is uh, the person that recommended this book to me is on this podcast. Byron. Is it? It's Byron. Yeah. Okay, I, I was like, pretty sure it's Byron. Yeah, yeah. Like, is it me? Yeah. Rob, there was I really no suspense yeah. there. Yeah, the exactly. Was, ironically, Chris. Also, my little thumb up, my little thumbs up, like, yeah, it's me, Numa Numa guy. <laughs> oh god. Oh my gosh. Fuck. Um, Byron, let me throw it to you. Same question to you. Like, is this is this kind of your go-to recommend? The reason I like it is it's a good gateway to both authors. You can pull away, you know, you will see it and you may see something in it. I think it's good enough that there are not many people I know that have read it that didn't then at least read one Pratchett and then one Gaiman book. So maybe they didn't like Pratchett, but they got into Gaiman or vice versa. Uh, so I would recommend it above one of their particulars. And if people like it, I think Small Gods, like we said earlier, or um, Pyramids are really good entry points into Pratchett. Is lore. Mort and then one of those books from Terry Pratchett? Mort. Wow, that is early. So, yeah. And some, yeah, and Rincewind too. So some that some of the early stuff, frankly, is definitely him filling out Discworld a little bit because what starts as really funny sort of derivative fantasy in terms of like making fun of the fantasy tropes becomes the metaphysical things where you read Lords and Ladies or these pieces Masquerade, which is the story of um, the Phantom of the Opera and music in general. Same. Th- uh, uh, there's a book about rock and roll that's called Music with Rocks in it, uh, where they slowly figure out, and there's literally music with rocks in it. And so the idea behind I'm gonna I'll stop, Sorry about shut that. up after this. That I was promise, my fault. But like the thing about yeah, soul music is what it's called. Soul music is the book. Um, but there is the idea of Discworld is that it's the the classic book in the same way that Good Omens is. You know everything's right, right? It's sixty world six thousand years old, and all everybody who said it was a tiny beginning that very small time ago and god created it in seven like all that stuff's correct the same way that disc world is yeah you're right it, it's you know it moves through space on the back of a giant turtle in which four you know elephants are balanced and then the world's flat and it's the place where all stories flow from 
And so it's that you'll see elements of all of our world stories and you know, stories throughout history, and they're always sort of slightly perverted because that's where they're starting. And that's the sort of metaphysical and, phys- meta- you know, and the physicist and, and Pratchett. Um, and the last thing I'll say about... So yeah, I would start with that book, and the last thing I'll say about Pratchett, if you ever want to have a great heartfelt moment, read his speech uh, in front of um, Parliament about uh, being able to uh, commit suicide if you're ever sick. Because he has, and he got in front of Parliament in in favor of euthanasia, and gave an amazing speech really? in defense of yeah. It was the the gentleman who uh, was the head of the royal uh, orchestra had decided to go abroad uh, to Sweden and spend his last moments with he and his wife who who was in her. I think she was eighty nine. He was ninety one. He was dying. She was not, but they decided to go together because she. They were like we've been married for seventy years. I don't want to live in a world without one another. Their children came, they gathered around, they killed each other. They'd kill each other, they died <laughs> together through euthanasia. And then the children came back to uh, Britain and were under uh, threat of arrest because what they did was illegal. Uh, witnessing it, not stopping it, and being there. And so Sir Terry Pratchett got in front of Parliament and spoke on their behalf and did an amazing speech where he ended talking about, look, you know, I want, like, I currently, he died from early onset Alzheimer. And he was like, I want to go at a moment of my cho- like choosing. I want to die knowing who I am and remembering my loved ones and doing what I'm doing, sitting in my garden with a cigar and a glass of you know whatever port, um, or this being Britain in my library because it's raining outside. But he did this amazing speech. Um, so yeah, if you really want to know the man that wrote all this stuff, uh, read that. And if you want to know Gaiman, uh, he's got some nice essays too. This guy... <laughs> This got really edit all that shit out because I'm so sorry, but it's I'm clear I like Pratchett. Yeah, I guess if I had to choose between the two of them, I'm saying I'm saying Neil Gaiman. Um, good Pete, uh, you have to follow the euthanasia speech. Try and find a way. Try and find a way, my friend. So the question was about which book would you recommend? Um, yeah, <laughs> so. like uh, Good Omens or something else from one of their respective. Uh, literary works. No, I think uh, Byron said it right in the first part where he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, where you give good omens first, and if they like it, you can then use that as a as a jumping off point for either Gaiman or Pratchett, because you'll find elements of both authors in that book. And whatever you liked about Good Omens, you will like in either one of their pieces. After that, for Gaiman, I would hand them American Gods, and for mm-hmm. Pratchett, I would hand them Small Gods. Uh, my oh, friend yes. here on the mic with me, you get to yeah. offer any book, any uh, book? but not the Silmarillion, not the <laughs> Silmarillion. Um, it, so like, I think this book, much like, like people are like, oh, for my kids don't read, but then they found the Harry Potter books and now they want to read everything. I think this is a solid book for like adults who don't read a lot because there's going to be something in there for anybody. Like, it's really approachable, but it's not, like, what I would hand to somebody as, like, the greatest example of writing that I've ever read in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was doing that, it would be something by Ray Bradbury. Ah, uh, yes. Or, or maybe yes. Ender's Game, you know, um, which is also not the greatest writing in the world, but it's a great story. Um, yeah. I don't know. This This is a book that I would give to people who are, like, 
I don't like any of that like fantasy or science fiction stuff. It just doesn't seem real. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, here's here's a book that you can read and enjoy, and then like next week we'll talk and we'll move you on to some grown up books. Right, you bastard, <laughs> <laughs> you patronizing bastard. <laughs> yeah, no, I you do want to. If you're an yeah. adult, if you're a child, <laughs> then you'll love this book <laughs> for its little tinker toys and its baby talk, all <laughs> <My> thinky things. <laughs> I don't like this thing, so I'm going to make it about small-minded people. They're yes. dumb, dumb God, I don't so have a sense of humor, an, so let me make fun of people who do. It's like people, uh, people, who, read, people who read graphic novels are like, oh, you read comic books, huh? <laughs> I knew we were going to get here by the end of this. I do want to say I am glad to hear that the, the really early Discworld books are a little rough because I did try getting into them at one point, and I was like, I'll start at the beginning. And then I was like, all this is is like a fantasy parody about a wizard. Yeah. And I was like, what are people reading these books for? So I may I may give it another shot and pick up with one of those books you recommended. Yeah. So um, I think I will be the true outcast, and I you'll recommend these books, and I will still not have read them by the time we come around to discuss so. them. We'll do a 20-year anniversary <laughs> of this podcast, and you still wouldn't have read the book. <laughs> yeah, clearly, we're going to do a Terry Pratchett podcast soon, right? We'll because... do a Terry Pratchett podcast soon, and I have not read him. So, Any? Oh, Jesus, I've given you like four Terry Pratchett books over the course know, of our friendship. I know, <laughs> I know. Have you read something? He's not, he's not really your friend, Pete. Yes, but it was a long time That's ago. good, Pete. This is a, a really big ago. guilt trip. This is nice. I know. I, this really turned really quickly. Can you read? A lot read of them I almost spit took Great. Uh, so you've all said kind of great final closing thoughts. Is there any kind of final thing you wish to throw out? We're kind of here at the end of the show. Um, but you've all said lovely things. Even you, Evil Pete, you said. <laughs> well, I, I, I think the book is fine. Okay. For a child. Yeah, for like a fucking a kid. Like, I think I read sure. that on the jacket, too. I think the book is fine. <laughs> it's fine. Listen, I thought, I, I tried some anime, and if I were a third grader, I'd be like, yeah, you yeah. should check out this Cowboy Bebop stupid cowboy yeah. thing. Like, for, I, if you're a baby. If I was three months old, I'd be like, you should yeah. maybe. I, guys, if I was a first guys. grader with a hat, you Google Gaga through this book to stop up the blood. <laughs> like I, you listen, okay, Ulysses is what I like. Listen, if you're yeah. a fucking adult, you've graduated high school, then you're reading Ulysses, okay? Like that's fine. So anyway, Finnegan's Wake. Finnegan's <laughs> Wake, okay, great. Like okay, it's fine for like a fucking ninth grader, but let's not be a bunch of assholes here. Like let's we're not start in the middle of a sentence like adults do. <laughs> Have you read the complete work of physics by okay. Hawking? <laughs> like right. that's a good All intro right. point. Let's wrangle this up. Let's, oh, I could. Can we do I a am, different trash Pete? Oh my god, Pete, like, just there's gonna be a spinoff of podcast of, of yeah. the, the Pete, Pete Outcast Petecast podcast. The Petecast. The He's trying to I enjoyed reading this book once. And I was like, oh, that was fun. But it's not the book that I'm going to like pick up and read again in six months. And then again the year after that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I was like, it's jokes. I got the jokes. I liked them. I guess that's a great, that kind of lets me segue into a nice final question. Um, uh, A couple of you have mentioned you've read this book multiple times. What keeps bringing you back to it? The jokes. Jokes. (laughs) Jokes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good story told well. Yeah. What brings us back to any piece of literature repeatedly? It's because you connect to the themes, the characters, 
the method of storytelling, the voices that it's told through. It's like anything. Why the hell have I watched Star Wars more than twice? Why the hell have I watched Indiana Jones so many times? Like, Indiana Jones is it a seminal work of cinema in terms of... <laughs> it's not Schindler's List. But damn, it's Thank fucking God. good, and I've watched it a lot of times, and that's good. I mean, kind of, kind of an interesting question. What if it were Schindler's List? <laughs> ooh, ooh, go on. Schindler and Schindler and the Raiders of the Lost Jews. I'm into this movie. Go on. Like, like, he just goes out and rescues pitch. people. That's my pitch right there. Elevator I'll pitch. stop there, but there's something. All right. I mean, if you're in well, seventh grade. Yeah. I think Indian, ending with Indiana Jones and Schindler's List is the best out for this show. Um, Which would you start with, though? Mm, Lady Hawk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lady Hawk. Um, Good answer. Way to get us out of that tailspin. You better yeah, like, have the, uh, um, so, the the great music to end this podcast from Lady Hawk. Yeah. So um, let's go around real quick. Um, uh, I'll start with you, Byron. Um, where can people find you on social media to send you, you know, e- crazy angry emails about our thoughts on Good Omens or follow projects that you're working on? I am not on social media anymore. Smart. That's very wise. Nice. <laughs> you're probably healthier for it. <laughs> oh, no. Except for the old yeah. Numa video on YouTube. Yeah. But I am, uh, yeah, exactly. Once I did the Numa Numa thing, everybody stopped watching. Uh, no, but you can reach me at uh, chrisbashin at gmail.com. <laughs> Um, well played. Well played. Send me all you want. Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm I'm genuinely not on the social media right now uh, or anymore. Uh, sorry to say. I'm not sorry to say. It's for my mental health. But uh, I am uh, going to be launching a website soon, and I'll send that to you. I'm sure it'll be great. That was anticlimactic. But like yeah, I'm like, I didn't know that was coming. I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, you can't it's reach right. me. My whole point of getting off the shit, you can't reach me. Uh, all right. Complain Zach, or tell me I'm great. Zach, where can people find you if you want to be found? If if you want to find me uh, or see pictures of my dog, at uh, Zach Munn uh, on Instagram, Z-A-C-H-M-U-H-N. And it really is just a charming collection of pictures of my dog and uh, pictures where I, like, smile, but you can tell that I don't really mean it. (laughs) God, can I do my answer after Zach and just take that one out? (laughs) Don't start with me. That was your, what the fuck? That was a great answer. Um, Rob, what about you? Where where can people find and follow you if If they wish to? If you really want to find me, you can find me at a bar in downtown Chicago. Creepy, yeah. creepy. That Rob. was creepy. Thank you. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> uh, Pete, what about you there in, in Virginia? I, I'm not going to give out your address, so you're safe. It's okay. Uh, no, you. Um, I, I'm. I mean, I'm on Facebook, but I don't have a social media presence. Look, you you gather a bunch of non-entertainers together and ask them to promote themselves. <laughs> At the moment, That's I have fair. nothing. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm just making money, money. So. Uh, Pete here in Los Angeles, where the audience will be the most mad at you. Where can they direct their wrath? All right. Well, apparently, unlike the rest of these losers, I am a professional entertainer. <laughs> Ouch, that hurt. <laughs> wow. Dang. Wow. Uh, no, you can you can find me on Instagram or Facebook under my own name. Um, I'm pretty easily findable. Also, have a web series, hopefully coming out soon, called Terrence in Houston in Space. 
which is probably actually like very Terry Pratchett in its humor. So oh. the, the rest of you guys will like that. <laughs> so I, I write it. I just don't want to read it. Wow. Yeah, no, for children. For the children, see? Yeah, oh, it's, so it's, it's like for seventh series. graders. A, so you yeah. have a series come out for seventh graders. That is going to be yeah. like... Baby Einstein. Yeah. There'll be some little music. It's really repetitive. We actually show the same episode twice in a row. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter because nothing matters. <laughs> That's fucking genius oh if you do. God. That's great. Oh, God. Uh, 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 oh, let me see shit. here. Uh, let me promote my. S- Do you have anything else? Uh, no, that's about it. <laughs> Great. I'm, I'm pretty unemployed right now, actually. Pete, you um, got to put your face on yeah, the screen. You You've been really aggressive. Well, and we've we'll not show seen you. We'll show you at the end. Of the show. Grand reveal. Chris is all just like, no, the, the laptop. Oh, no. The camera can't turn. Half of us know what he looks um, like. I am your host, Chris. Uh, obviously, I host our Nerd Outcast podcast here. Uh, you can always reach me at nerdoutcastpodcast at gmail.com. We take comments, protests, topic suggestions, whatever you wish to send. Uh, we've It's kind of been a big year for nerds. We've seen the end of Game of Thrones. We've seen the end of um, the MCU, at least, you know, the Infinity Saga. Uh, Star Wars is supposedly, you know, wrapping up the Skywalker Saga. So we've got podcast topics on all of these. We did an MCU podcast earlier this year kind of looking at the Infinity Saga and all the different films. We did a kind of a Game of Thrones retrospective and our hopes for the books and our sorrows and joys with the show. Um, And yeah, we'll be doing Star Wars later this year and a couple of other video game podcasts. So be on the lookout for them. And I have no idea when this will be dropping. So hopefully sooner rather than later. Gentlemen, thanks so much for coming on and talking to me, talking Talking at us, talking at me about good omens, and then talking you two to me, and then skewering my friend here. It's good to not be the one getting skewered for once. So, Um, yeah, it's fine. I know I'm right. (laughs) I've been your host, Chris Bashan, and joining me to talk about good omens have been Zach Munn, Byron Hatfield, Rob Shoemake, Pete Poos, and Pete Navis. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 